This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. This is Tony Doug Wright, a.k.a. the TD Dubs. I'm one of the many love slaves of the Two-Headed Nerd. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Matt and Joe. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Oh, welcome to episode 94 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, December 12th. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not nursing my hangover from last week's Chamica show, I'm appraising comics and writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not apologizing to my family, friends, and church congregation for last week's Chanika show and my sordid, terrible behavior, I'm the artist of Good Plus and the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. He was too scared to get high with me. This week, you'll hear reviews of Avengers Arena and Cable and X-Force number one after that. Tobacco is wacko. We'll review ten more comics. If only, if, only if you're a if teen, you're dude. A teen. After that, we'll review ten more comics faster than Doomsayers can recamp their end-of-the-world predictions when the sun comes up next f***ing Saturday in the ludicrous speed round. And ain't the 21st yet, baby! And then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where three sad ex-supermans will help us learn the (laughs) secrets of next week's comics. And finally, I'll be a DJ, and DJ will be the rapper when the comic pushers make their return. All the while, we'll be reading your tweets and Facebook answers to the question of the week. But... Before we get to all the Kanye bashing and Boss and Bon Jovi love, let's take a minute to ask what the f*** was that weird scar on Roger Daltrey's stomach? And why would you take your shirt off in front of a billion people if you had said weird scar? And then we can talk about this week's big news. Am I the only one that watched the 12-12-12 concert? I watched some of it. I didn't see Roger Daltrey take his shirt off. It was gross. After being associated with the character for nearly a decade, writer Gail Simone has announced that she will no longer be writing DC Comics Batgirl after the series' 17th issue in February. What's more is that Simone's departure was not her decision. She was fired by email. Classy. Real classy, guys. It's like dumping a girl via text. (laughs) After weeks of speculation, Simone confirmed the news on Twitter saying, quote, On Wednesday of last week... My new Batgirl editor, Brian Cunningham, informed me by email that I was no longer the writer of Batgirl. It is baffling and sad, and I will probably have a statement later today or maybe tomorrow. The outpouring of support from fans and creators for Simone was immediate, and the writer later expressed her gratitude on her blog, proving that she's the classiest lady in comics Simone came to DC's defense when fan reaction turned ugly. Quote, Guys, I'm hearing that people are getting personal, nasty emails about this Batgirl thing. Please don't do that. No one is the villain here. It's just a thing that happens in all creative media. Please, please don't send anyone any nasty emails, really. Simone's next move is uncertain, and an official replacement has yet to be announced by DC, and the publisher has not commented on Simone's firing. Ray Fox, writer of the acclaimed One Soul graphic novel... I think he's pronounced (laughs) God. (laughs) Welcome aboard, Ray! (laughs) We'll be filling in on Batgirl number 18 and number 19. This is stupid. I have really mixed feelings about this because I didn't particularly care. That's the thing. For I, Gail Simone's Batgirl. I was not really reading or enjoying Gail Simone's Batgirl. I wasn't liking it, but I don't think it's her fault. I agree. And this is the worst move to do to somebody that has been in your corner. Like, Gail Simone right. was one of the best things they had going for them. Right, absolutely. Who are they going to give the book to? Yeah, I mean, really, like, because I highly doubt they're going to take a chance. Is Howard Mackey busy? A new sexy writer. Yeah, they're going to go, like, Frank Thierry, what are you doing, buddy? Yeah. Hey, we got a job for you. You know, like, hey, seriously, the the cadre of creators, and I'm not trying to downplay or slam anybody but the cadre of creators that they have rounded up from the 90s that i forgot even existed to throw on their stable of books is not impressing anyone yes it's just not separate that's a separate discussion i I agree i agree but i'm saying but taking simone off this book we both know yeah that nobody right now is gonna replace her right now dc has nobody no and that's not unfair i mean they do like they have they have good they do have some good talent they don't have nobody they have because they've got like i'm excited about justin jordan and nathan edmondson oh no he hasn't been writing his book got canceled. Oh, that's right. Captain Adam, he was right. Oh, uh, no, he was writing Grifter. Yeah, he's already and gone. He left Grifter. Yeah, he's already gone. Yeah. I mean, like, so 
but that's the thing. It's like, there know. are only so many books you can put Jeff Lemire on. Right. To or, save from cancellation. Right. Or Scott Snyder. Or, I mean, yeah. Grant Morrison. I, I'm starting to think that DC is no longer a place where new voices can succeed. Period. If Gail Simone is getting fired, that that's just lunacy. I'm sorry. That's lunacy. Well, and, you know, the rumor mill, of course, is rampant. And it sounds like there was tor- creative differences, I guess. Of course. That's what uh, we and- always hear when someone gets... I mean, that has been trumpeted every with everyone that's lost their book, gotten canceled, or, or been fired. It's been every one of them getting in line and saying, well, there was editorial stuff that I just couldn't work with. Yeah, and the thing is... While it is certainly DC's prerogative to do what they want with their characters, what's the benefit of firing somebody who's writing what is actually a very well-selling book? And who's actually proven that they can write this character in the past. Can you think of anyone else as associated with Barbara Gordon other than Chuck Dixon? But not just Barbara Gordon. I would say, I mean, Black Canary. I would say she is the definitive female voice at DC. And while that doesn't necessarily mean she's done at DC, meh. Yeah. There are certainly no plans that I'm aware of. I hope Joey Q calls her tomorrow and says, she said that she has already plenty of female like characters we'd love to see you write at Marvel. Over the last couple of days she's she's tweeted and written that she's received lots of calls from lots of people and lots of companies. Kick ass. And I I know that Gail will land on her feet and that's not the problem. It's it's, Damn it, DC. It's further evidence. And I, I know we keep banging on this drum, but tell us we're wrong. The decisions they've made since the New 52 started, have been baffling. Well, And I don't know how new readers at this point, with so many different creative voices being moved around and fired and changed, how could you remain excited about this new stuff? When, I mean, like, the tone has already changed twice for some of these books, and we're only on issue 15. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's it's another another blow to DC when they really can't afford it. stupid. And speaking of bad blows to DC... When it rains, it pours. This week, Scott Snyder announced that he'll be stepping down as the writer of DC's Swamp Thing title with March's issue number 18, and he's taking artist Yannick Paquette with him. Whoops. Unlike many creative departures taking place at DC these days, this one was Snyder's decision and doesn't seem to be born out of any ill will toward the publisher. In a statement, Snyder said that a limited run was his and Paquette's plan from the start, but the two stayed on the book for longer than they intended, and I would say maybe it's starting to show a little bit. In a series of later tweets, the writer further explained that he's been delaying the launch of his upcoming Vertigo series, The Wake, because he wanted to keep his workload at no more than three books at a time. Probably good thinking. Probably. His other Vertigo title, American Vampire, is going on a planned hiatus after January's issue 34, meaning that Snyder will be focusing on The Wake, Batman, and his upcoming Superman title with Jim Lee for the foreseeable future. There's no word yet on where Yannick Paquette will end up. But the artist revealed on Twitter that he's known for years what his next project would be, and he's still exclusively with DC. I don't know what that means. Maybe he's writing Batgirl. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) The new creative team for Swamp Thing has not been announced. Joe, is there anyone else that could be writing Swamp Thing right now? Well, we just said it. I mean, how many books can Jeff Lemire possibly write? Or Grant Morrison. Is Alan Moore busy? Right. Maybe he's mellowed out a little. Right. I don't know. I think they're screwed. I think this. I mean, I think you take Snyder off this book. I give it six issues. But what DC really needs to do, like for real, is find new talent. Yeah. Where's the next Scott Snyder? Where's the next Jeff Lemire? Well, maybe James Tynan is the next Scott Snyder. Maybe. And if James Tynan wants to take a and I really like talent Swamp Thing, it's a great book. Go for it. But I just keep thinking like we're gonna give it to the guy that writes uh, Ravagers. Or something. Howard Mackey? Yeah, I just... <laughs> you're really beating up on him, Howie. Listen, I just... If you're a new reader, if you don't know where we came from, you might look at the new, the Teen Titans book and the Superboy book and go, okay, I get it. I like it. But for somebody that knows what we had... I don't see that. With characters like the Teen Titans, it's like they have flushed this stuff down the toilet. They just got Again. Swamp Thing back. Yeah, they. We, that's the thing that bothers me. We just and got Swamp And I'm terrified that they're going to flush it back down and the toilet. And not only did we just get Swamp Thing back, but we decided he's going to be a major part of the DCU. He's not going to be a Vertigo book. And we're really going to go for it. I just don't know who takes this over and does a good job with it. I don't think there's anyone in their current stable of writers that either has time or can do it. Uh, well, maybe they'll give uh, Robert Venditti, who is doing the Constantine, maybe they'll give it to him. But then, then he's already a novelist. 
He's writing Exo Manowar. There's no way and Vendetti's not going to get it. Constantine, and then to give him a Swamp Thing, that's too much work. Yeah. I don't know. I. This is more bad news. This is more bad DC news. We'll see. I mean... Uh, surely, if they knew he was leaving, they have a plan in place. Uh-huh. Maybe it'll be good. Oh, I'm sure they... Yeah. I, I'm sure they've been planning for this one for quite some time. <laughs> and finally, the first full trailer for Zack Snyder's upcoming Man of Steel film hit the web this week. And it's got everybody talking. The two-and-a-half-minute trailer features our first real look at Henry Cavill in costume and in action, plus brief glimpses of Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White... Amy Adams as Lois Lane, and Michael Shannon as General Zod, Matt Bomb. What did you think? My eyes teared up. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. I got super misty. I Seriously, <laughs> it got me. And it was the scene where we first see Superman walking, like in the North Pole or wherever he was. Yeah. And the capes blowing behind him. Yep. I got goosebumps. It, it just got me. Like, I have goosebumps now talking about it, you know? <laughs> and like, and... Say what you will about the suit or whatever. I mean, like it does. There's a couple of close-ups where it looks all kind of bumpy and weird. But I think Henry Cavill looks awesome in the suit. I think he looks like Superman. I think him flying looks really cool. The flying was amazing. I think Michael Shannon as General Zod, awesome. I love that choice. I'll tell you what everyone seems to be pointing out, and I agree. It actually looks like he might get in a fight in this one. Yeah. Unlike Superman Yeah, Returns. there may be a little action here. I, uh, I like, know. stuff is blowing up. There's buses and buildings and all kinds of nonsense, like, flying up into space. And I don't even know what's going and on. And let's keep in mind that it, the idea of the trailer is to give everybody a nerd boner. And if it doesn't, you're doing it wrong. You know, like, they can take terrible movies and make them look cool. Joe Patrick falls for it on a weekly basis when he gets excited for movies like G.I. Joe and crap like that. I saw the new G.I. Joe trailer. Oh, God. Dude. Now with 100% more Channing Tatum. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do not. Totally right. Yeah. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought this looked really good. And with Zack Snyder behind it, I'm not worried. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. All right. So let's talk about the thing that seems to have people up in arms. There's a scene in the trailer where uh, young Clark Kent saves a school bus full of children yeah, yeah, yeah. from uh, drowning or something if yeah. it goes into the river. Somebody says, I saw what Clark did, right? And so the whole there's a drama now about should he have revealed himself, is the world ready? And Pa Kent you know, is talking to him about it, yeah. and young Clark says, what should I have done? Let those kids die? And Pa Kent says, maybe. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad answer. I think he's confused. He doesn't know what to do. He's got an alien for a son. Yes. And he, and he doesn't say maybe. He says, I don't know. Maybe. Well, yeah. He says it with that I don't know tone. He yeah. doesn't say I don't know. But he says it with that tone like he's like he's confused, like this is a first for he him. He should be confused. He's, and a, he's a human in a weird position. Now, let's just say that it's probably editing. I'm sure. To make it sound that yeah. way. No, I didn't. That, I don't have any problem with but that. But I think if they're taking the tack that... The Kents are just as confused and and caught off guard by Clark's abilities as anyone they else. They should be. And, like, who really knows how to deal with an alien kid? Right. And I think the important thing is, where does he end up after that moment? Right. You know? Right. They're singling out that one moment as, like, Pocket will never say that. I think what he's saying is, I don't know, but maybe you shouldn't have you yeah. know like and that's a real he's he's an alien with superpowers right. he's afraid his, the government's gonna come and take harvest his kids organs or i'll something, tell you you know well, i really liked the tone of this trailer yes the way it made the movie seem like it was going to be more about it looks like it's beautifully filmed too right uh, i i think it's fun to explore the idea that uh superman was raised with this set of morals, and that's great, but also with the fear that in this modern time, people would not react favorably to somebody showing up out of thin air, able to fly and lift buses. I think that's the, that's the, going to be the crux of the story and, here. Yeah, and the whole idea of, is the world ready for Superman? I love it. I am really excited about it. Uh, Superman Birthright by Mark Wade had that kind of tone. Yeah. I love the idea of Superman not always being you know the best of us, having to kind of get to that point. I am looking forward to it the one thing though the music and i hate to beat a dead horse but i wanted the superman theme from john time Williams out. so badly that trailer music may or may not even be no them. they have announced that there is no john williams in this movie oh, it is sucks. a completely original score that by hans zimmer sucks 
Can he pay homage to it or something? I don't know. Just yeah, you know, it's just a but, little one. You know, I don't know. it's a little bittersweet in that regard. But I will say that this really got me going. I love Superman, and I want this movie to be good. I need it to be good, and I, I think need. this first trailer is a good sign. I need this to be good. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where Cowboy Curtis himself, Larry Fishburne, Perry White, will be shouting, Great Caesar's Ghost, when he catches me making out with Cherry in the Playhouse. I got it. Pee-wee's Playhouse. Took me a second. (laughs) Took me a second. Sit on me, (laughs) Pee-wee. What about Miss Yvonne? Yeah, Miss Yvonne was creepy. He was, he was never really into her. He was in love with she Miss Yvonne. No, she was the most beautiful woman in Puppet Land, but I think he was scared of her. Wasn't Cowboy Curtis in love with Miss Yvonne? Everybody was. Oh. Yeah. Even Reba the male lady, who I suspected of being gay. Well, sure. <laughs> Each week, my personal super baby, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, and then we read your responses on the show. This week's question was, what are your thoughts on the Man of Steel trailer? Joe Patrick, what are these nerds saying? We have a first response from Brett Merriman. Welcome back, hey, Brett. Look who's here. He says he's ambivalent. It doesn't have the it doesn't have Kaiju versus Jagers. Oh, so. uh, fair enough, man. Uh, because the Pacific Rim trailer came out this week too. Uh, and yeah, I got a little misty while I watched Superman. I almost broke my fucking computer when I watched <laughs> the Pacific Rim trailer. Rocket Fist, man. I love the, the Rocket Fist. Big old punch. Yeah. Like, oh man. Uh, Katie who goes by Quimby underscore P.I. on Twitter. Welcome aboard, Katie. Says... And are you a real private investigator? <laughs> I, it might be Quimby Pie, but I like to read it as Quimby. Quimby P.I. P.I. Uh, she's very excited. I saw a version that had <laughs> John Williams's theme over it instead of the original music by Hans Zimmer, and it was even better. <laughs> yeah, I would have fallen. I would have broken my computer, that, but just like lifted it and snapped it in half. It's true. <laughs> Victor Von Zoom. Oh, I was hoping it was Victor Von Boom. Oh, man. <laughs> Missed opportunity, Vic. It says he's bored. Nobody ever seems to get it right. Oh, Vic. Uh, Don't where's be the so hope? Mad. Come on. Who are you really mad at, Vic? Where's the hope? Is it your dad? You can tell us. Stop it. <laughs> Brett Froning says he is excited. I think we've needed a darker take on this character. Maybe. Let me get dark. I mean, well, I mean, uh, more serious. Grittier. Um, yeah, Grittier. I'm, yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Cornelius Stuyvesant, one of these days I'm going to get that right, says the special effects look good, but he questions some of the choices they're making with emo soups and Pa Kent. Pa Kent saying, let them die. No way, man. That's a huge jump from where I always saw Pa Kent. Well, we already talked about it. I understand. We talked about that a little. Yeah. I'm well, hoping that they're, you know. I think in context. That there's that is, more to it than that. Like in context, that's not going to bother us. <laughs> Brian DuPont, our old buddy, says, uh, this whetted my appetite for Aquaman. Fins of flubber. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done so far, nerds. We'll come back and we'll give you some Facebook responses in just a little bit. It's review time on THN where Matt and I throw a pile of this week's new comics into the ring we built in the basement of the ziggurat, force them to fight to the death for fun and gambling purposes. Matt, what comic came out on top for you? I'm like the Michael Vick of comics, man. Gross. Yeah, there's a bunch of dead, electrocuted comics buried in my backyard. (laughs) I read Cable and X-Force, number one from Marvel, written by Dennis Hopeless with art by Salvador La Roca and Frank... And Frank Darmata. Darmata. <laughs> Darmata. Darmata. On colors. Here's your solicit. Cable is back. No! With a new X Force at his side, he must tackle the threats that nobody else can know about. But just who are Cable's new recruits? And why is his team public enemy number one? Oh, man's. Caught red handed at the scene of a terrorist attack on major American corporation whose CEO has expressed anti mutant views, the X Force is on the run with none other than the Uncanny Avengers in hot pursuit. Is that all in the solicit? Yeah. That's a real solicit from Marvel. Wow. No bullets, no nothing. If one X-Force book is good, then two should be totally awesome, right? Writer Dennis Hopeless makes his regularly monthly debut here with the first of two new X-Force series, along with superstar artist 
Salvador LaRocca, who seems to have stopped drawing well-known celebrities into his comics. That's what it seems. I was really worried that Cable was going to be like like Rutger Hauer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All the designs that he did for this new team are really, really cool. Except for Dr. Nemesis. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's growing on me. I no. don't know. I, I don't hate it. That dude was awesome. Yeah. White fedora, white lab coat, white surgical I mask, tiny it. white gloves. But awesome. I, but I also understand that, like, he's trying to give them a different look. He's trying to give them this sort of, like, A-team military look. You know, like, they're a unit on the run. So and- orange and gray for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> I like Cable's new big gigantic arm that yeah. shoots missiles. That's really cool. Dr. Nemesis did lose his hat, but I don't hate it. I think F- Forge looks awesome. He looks more machine than man. And I even think Colossus looks kind of neat in the armor, even though it's stupid that an armored guy wears armor. It's for fashion. <laughs> this new X-Force has That's my Colossus very... impression. That was terrible. This new X-Force has a complete A-team feel in both look and characterization. Hopeless's dialogue here is great. There's a fantastic scene with Havoc confronting Cable after, like I said in the solicit, they basically blow up this corporate headquarters and murder a bunch of, like, unarmed people. Well, they don't, but it looks like they did. It looks like they did. Right. And Havoc shows up, and he's (laughs) with the Uncanny Avengers. It's like... Tell me this is not what this looks like. <laughs> Just tell me. And it, there's a great scene where Cap approaches Havoc and he's like, we got to take him in. And Havoc turns. He's like, stand down, Cap. All right. I'll handle this. <laughs> and then Cable shoots a gun at Yeah. Him. And then Cable blows a bunch of stuff up and teleports away. And Captain Merrick's like, stand down. That's <laughs> like, really? And Havoc's like, okay. Yeah, that was a bad idea. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> this is really well written. Everybody here had a really good voice. I like that Cable doesn't do much talking at all. Yeah. He's the old, gruff, mean, man, mean old man. Uh, Hope is not annoying. She's actually pretty cool in this. Uh, I thought Forge, I I was just so happy to see Forge back, and he's really well written. I love Domino as a character. I think she's vastly underused. Colossus, far and away my favorite X-Man, but that goes back and forth between Colossus and Nightcrawler. I just, now it's Colossus because the real Nightcrawler's dead, although I do like the Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler. He's evil. He's not. No, no. They've announced it. The the crossover coming up between Age of Apocalypse. Is that what it is? And uh, whatever else. He's doing evil shit. He betrays them. Mm, I like him. He's evil. Oh, well. But I, I enjoyed this. I thought it was fun. There was nothing huge and flashy about it. I like Cable. I like all these characters. I like the A-team feel. I like the mutants on the run aspect of it. I think this is going to be a fun ride, and so far, I'm <laughs> yeah, saying buy it. It totally is the A-team. It is. It's Frame the for a crime. They didn't come Yeah. <laughs> if you have a problem, and you can find them. Perhaps you can hire <laughs> Cable <laughs> and X-Force. Spam, but I'm spam. I'm giving it a buy it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I'm giving it a buy it. You know, I liked it, too. I thought it was good. I wasn't blown away by it, but... I did appreciate that Salvador LaRocca's art seems less photo-referenced and more towards the Salvador LaRocca that I remember. Yeah, and I will say, like, Darmada did a the nice colors job. colors are beautiful. With some, like, very kind of muted, realistic colors that gave this book a mm-hmm. very real feel. Like, it, it felt like a digital handicam news report, almost, you mm. know? I mean... Yeah, he's a good colorist. And I saw uh, visually, I thought the book was great. I don't mind the new designs except for Dr. Nemesis for reasons I've cited. Understandable. And I thought Hopeless did a good job. I'm interested about what happened, why they're on the run, what happened at the tanker, why is Cable having these weird visions. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I'm on board. I I have always had a soft spot for Cable. Me too. And I love it. Oh, I think if we check the record, the record will reflect that that statement was bull. What? Because I remember having arguments with you about Cable in the past. No, I've always loved Cable. Okay. I have always loved Cable. Maybe it's Bishop. Yeah, I hate Bishop. <laughs> but yeah, God. this was a fun first issue. He's, a, he's got a perm. Okay. <laughs> but this was a fun first issue. And hey, you don't have to wait long for number two. It comes out next week. Yeah, no sh- uh, I'm giving Boom, it, bang, you know. I'm giving this one a buy it as well. Joe Patrick, tell us about Avengers Arena number one. Avengers Arena number one by Marvel Comics, written by Dennis Hopeless, again, (laughs) with art by Kev Walker and colors by Frank Martin. Here's your solicit. 
Trapped on an isolated island, 16 young adults, including cult faves like members of the Runaways, the Avengers Academy, and Darkhawk, are given a chilling ultimatum by their demented captor. Fight or die, only one will walk out alive. Thus begins a primal battle that will test the skills, stamina, and morals of each combatant. Welcome to Murder World, where the secrets are plenty, alliances are fleeting, and the key to victory might be rewriting the rules of the game. Who will survive? Man, I wonder if Hopeless wrote these himself. That's intense. Because these are both good solicits. Yeah, they're really good. I've been looking forward to this series. I, I thought the idea sounded pretty fun, and I was happy to see characters like the Avengers Academy kids and the Runaways get the spotlight again. When this hit the stands, I grabbed it, made it my first read of the week, and the first thing you notice when you open the issue is how gorgeous it looks. From the front cover to the final page, Avengers Arena number one is a beautiful... Beautiful book. Kev Walker, man. Kev Walker and Frank Martin work together to create a visual style that's greater than the sum of its parts. And Walker is quickly becoming one of my favorite artists. I love his work. At first glance, though, the premise for the series sounds a whole lot like popular stories like The Hunger Games and Battle Royale. And Hopeless wisely gets that criticism out of the way by having Arcade address it directly in the story. <laughs> It makes this seem like a natural progression of the villain's usual MO. I like how Hopeless plays with the progression of time here. The first page starts on day 29 of the young hero's ordeal, then cuts to the moments leading up to their abduction, and it allows for a little bit of character development that's crucial to this kind of story while still starting with a bang. Unfortunately, Hopeless telegraphs the ending, and I saw it coming from a mile away, like... Or 20 pages from the end. I was like, and it's a 22-page book. I was like, oh, that's how that's going to go down. What could have been a really shocking moment ends up falling a little flat. Still, though, it serves to brutally illustrate the danger these kids are in. And it proves that none of them are safe, which is something we have been talking about in the weeks leading up to this. Without stakes, this book is pointless. And so, for Hopeless to really like get it out of the way right away, boom. Nobody's safe. Wise move. Good choice. I have heard some criticism that this issue is all about gratuitous violence and that the plot becomes secondary to the shock value, but I disagree. I have always been a fan of Arcade and Murder World, and while the book is violent, I think that Hopeless and Walker are going to give us a lot of fun character studies in between the vicious battles. I'm giving this one a buy it. I liked it a lot. I'm looking forward to the next one. It also comes out next week. Yeah. So, I guess, catch up in a hurry, kids. I'm with you. Buy it. And I, I don't buy the criticism either, because I'm sorry, watering down Arcade, who is a crazy person. He builds death traps. He builds death traps. What kind of a book would this be if nobody died? There's no stakes if nobody dies. It's The whole idea is they've been kidnapped and they're forced to fight. That's the damn story. If you're not into the story, then don't read it. Fine. But you can't say it's not well written. No, I thought it was very well written. It's very well written. And I thought that his uh, character, his character studies for the lead characters in this particular story were very well done and very true to previous appearances. I don't want to say anything about who kind of takes the forefront in this book. Because I talk about how the ending is telegraphed, and I, I don't want to give away any spoilers. I didn't find the ending that telegraphed. I like, I I knew it was coming from the start. I guess I didn't. I see really it. did. I guess I didn't see it. And, I'm not as smart as you are. Well, I've been doing this a long time. Oh, shut up! <laughs> but I thought it was well written, beautifully drawn, and I am eager. I love arcade. I love the idea yeah. of Murder World. And look, hey. It's reminiscent of the Hunger Games and Battle Royale. Big deal. I think the Hunger Games and Battle Royale are rad. Yeah, totally rad. So it's a I'm buy in. it. I'm totally in. I'm with you. Buy it from me as well. Deal with it, internet. So that's a double buy it for Cable and X-Force and a double buy it for Avengers Arena. Of course, we want to know what you fugitives and teenage gladiators thought of these comics. So hit us up over at the comments section for this episode on TwoHeadedNerd.com. In celebration of Rush being inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we'll be joining Lila Cheney, Dazzler, and Rick Jones aboard the Avengers Quinjet for a supersonic trip to Toronto for a party at Getty's Place with Neil, Alex, and Scott Pilgrim. But while we're hauling ass across the border, we're also going to be reviewing 10 of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! 
Sherlock Holmes, the Liverpool Demon, number one, Dynamite! <laughs> uh, Matt and I have both really loved the Dynamite Sherlock Holmes books, so I was excited for this one. It's written by Leah Moore and John Ripien. Oh, they wrote Damsels, which we uh, uh, was not I didn't. I didn't pick it up. Oh, no, we, I did read I, that. No, I read it for <laughs> my right. five. I made you read it. Uh, but I didn't have as much fun with this one as I have with some of the other ones. Something was missing. All right. And it's a different, I mean, it's a different writer. Fair enough. I think the other ones were written by, like, Scott Beatty or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, Scott Beatty's were really so good. I'm giving it a skim it. The art's fun. It's still decent. It's just. Yeah, the art was really good. Something was missing. The Crow, Skinning Wolves number one from IDW. This is James O'Barr's return to his creation, The Crow, and this time The Crow seems to be a Jew in Nazi Germany. Isn't that the deal with The Crow, that it's a different person? Yeah, well, The Crow is a lot of different people. The Crow just seems to be someone who is seeking vengeance, and, you know, Nazi Germany is a good place to seek sometimes vengeance Sometimes it's Brandon Jew. Lee, sometimes it's other people. Sometimes he's Eddie Furlong. <laughs> In a really terrible Crow movie. The art here by Jim Terry was really good and reminiscent of James O'Barr. So it worked really well. I gotta say, I'm on board for this one. Buy it. Hey, Scarlet Spider 12, Marvel. I haven't read this book in months, and I don't remember why I stopped, because I like it. It's fun. I know why I stopped. There was too many tie-ins that I didn't care about. There are a lot of tie-ins, and I don't care about That's the That's not the book's fault. But this issue was fun. It's a done-in-one about the Scarlet Spider sort of foiling a hotel robbery. The dialogue was snappy. The art was good. I need to maybe do a little bit more to get caught up, but... I liked it a lot. I'm giving it a buy it. Ugh, Caligula, the heart of Rome, number one from Avatar. I have not read any of the other Caligula stuff by David Lapham, but this book is balls out f***ing crazy. <laughs> like, it is insane. Doesn't he have, like, superpowers or something? He worships demons. There's a demon with a hand for a penis. Like, there's all kinds of weird crap going on in this book. It's a real disorder. Look Page one, gore. Page two, gore boobs. <laughs> yeah, gore boobs. So, you know what you're getting into. I will say Caligula makes Crossed look like strawberry shortcake. Leave it. Dang. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man, 699.1 from Marvel. This is the setup to the Morbius, the Living Vampire series coming out in January. It is interrupting my normal Spider-Man story where this crazy bananas stuff is happening to Peter Parker, and I'm really mad about it. Yeah. I hate how they do this. I understand that Morbius needs a push and that Amazing Spider-Man is a good place to do it. I don't like it. They did the same thing with Venom a couple years ago. I didn't like it then either. However, this issue has very decent art. Uh, it's written by Joe Keating, who we enjoy. It sets up the new Morbius book pretty well. It gives you the origin of Morbius, who I did not know was Greek. And, uh, you know, it's okay. It annoys me. Skim it. <laughs> the Hallows, number one from IDW. Chris Ryall, who is like the president of IDW? Yeah, he's like the big the head, head honcho. The head honcho. Yeah, the HNIC at IDW. And Sam Keith team up for a futuristic story that I think takes place in future Japan, where the Earth is all screwed up, so they built these giant genetically enhanced trees that cities exist on. And it's predictably completely bizarre, and the main character refers to himself as Keith-san constantly, and I just did not care. Now, that said, Sam Keith's art is gorgeous. It's gorgeous in this. Absolutely beautiful. The story's just too goddamn weird. I'm giving it a leave it. Green Lantern Corps number 15 from DC! I don't know why I stopped reading this book either. I, I know it's not necessarily setting the world on I fire. I stopped reading it because it wasn't very good. But, I mean, it's not like blockbuster can't miss. But it's still consistently decent. And I like Pete Tomasi, and I love Fernando Passarin, and I love, love, love Guy Gardner. And they are doing bad things to my favorite I Guy think Gardner. I we checked the record, you didn't used to love Fernando Passarin. No, I did. I just didn't necessarily think he was a good fit for Green Lantern. Right. But I'm, on, I'm back on board. I think Green Lantern Corps is a fun book, and you should be reading it, even though they're doing terrible things to Guy Gardner, who I love so much. Please don't kill Guy Gardner. He's Bye. He's going to be fine. Archer and Armstrong, number five from Valiant. The book that Joe Patrick said we didn't need to talk about because the Eternal Warrior returning is not news. I'm saying it's it not is big news. The Eternal Warrior was awesome in the past, and he's awesome again here. He's Armstrong's brother, and he's trying to kill Archer. Guess what? I had to tell Matt Bomb that he was Armstrong's brother. I, he's such a big Eternal Warrior I fan. I forgot he was in the past. <laughs> 
But this is this book is just great. It's it's really well drawn. It's fantastically written by Fred Van Lenty. It's so much fun. The new Eternal Warrior is super tough. Everybody should be reading Archer and Armstrong. It's a great time. Buy it, buy it. Ultimate Comics X-Men 20 from Marvel. I have been trying to put this book in my Ludicrous Speed 5 for months now. He's getting bumped. And there's always something, quote-unquote, more important. It's like Matt Damon on Jimmy Kimmel. Kind of. (laughs) But I have to say, this is a really interesting, fun take on the X-Men from Brian Wood. He's doing some really crazy socio-political stuff. Like there's a Native American allegory now with the with the remaining mutants, and it's just quietly doing this really interesting story that nobody's reading, and I think it's worth looking at. I'm giving it a skim it because it's not for everybody. And let's face it, it's Ultimate X Men, so who cares that much? Yeah. And the art is super inconsistent. Not that it's bad, but they just can't keep a regular artist. But I think it's definitely worth a look. Grab it, skim it. To hell you ride, number one from Dark Horse. Lance Heinrichson. That's how you have to say it. <laughs> yeah, to hell you ride. Uh, Lance Heinrichson of Bishop fame from the movie Aliens is... <laughs> of Millennium fame. <laughs> of Millennium fame. He's riding this along with a guy named Joseph Madry, who I've also not heard. And it's sort of this supernatural Native American uh, time-displaced tale. It sort of starts way back. In, uh, you know, cowboy and Indian times, and then flashes forward to modern times. And it was really hard to follow, and I didn't really get it. And they're sort of like, I felt like they were counting on me to understand some weird, like, Indian, I don't know, mythology that I don't know about, (laughs) you know? No, I will say the art by Tom Mandrake, very good. I love Tom Tom Mandrake. Tom Mandrake looked really good here, but I can't recommend this. I can only give it a skim in. It wasn't terrible, but it certainly wasn't worth buying. Sorry, Bishop. Scree! Wham! That is your ludicrous speed round. And scree! Wham! Is the sound made when Archer smashes Armstrong. a bus. Armstrong! Armstrong! <laughs> it's the sound made when Armstrong smashes a bus into the storage container. His bro, the Eternal Warrior, is locked in, as seen in this week's Armstrong and Armstrong, number five. <laughs> Join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we'll be freebasing the tears of Dean Cain, Brandon Routh, and Tom Welling, all of whom played Superman in terrible soups, TV, and movie projects, and none of whom will have anything to do with the new Zack Snyder Superman. Thankfully. In the hope that their distilled soul pain will reveal to us the secrets of next week's comments. Sorry, suckers. <laughs> Matt, tell us what you'll be reading next Although week. I do love Dean Cain. <laughs> My pick for next week is Django Unchained, number one, from DC, by Quentin Tarantino and R.M. Guerra. From what I understand, this is not a movie adaptation. This is a prelude to Django Unchained. No. No. Incorrect. I'm incorrect. It is Quentin Tarantino's full script for the movie recreated in comic form. So it is just a comic adaptation. Well, sort of. Except that a comic adaptation is like you get Peter David to read the script to Spider-Man the movie Did and then rewrite it for right. comic book form. Didn't they tell That's us? That's not what this is. There would be things in this that are not in the movie. They they are soliciting it as saying, hey, there might be some stuff that gets cut from the movie so in this the, comic. So it's like a director's cut comic adaptation. Sort of. I'm still excited. Yeah. I'm still excited. I mean, I want, I'm in. I am totally pumped for Django Unchained. We're supposed to be whispering, we're, and you're kind of shouting. Well, I'm, but I'm still doing the growly voice. Yeah, we're in the, yeah, we're in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Right? I'm sorry. But what's your pick for next week? I'm sorry. My pick for next week is JSA, The Liberty Files, The Whistling Skull, number one from DC Comics by B. Clay Moore and Tony Harris. I loved the original Liberty Files stories team. from I back in the day. this team. And I am so happy to see them back. What an unexpected announcement for DC right. in the New 52 to say, hey, guess what? We're publishing an Elseworld story, sort of. We're B- not calling it that anymore. B. Clay Moore could write one thing. Okay. I like it. Based on nothing whatsoever, he should but be, that's all right. Well, he should be writing something for DC. <laughs> okay, that's Come that's, on. That's fair, but you can't just say, I like this writer. He should write something. <laughs> I can do whatever I want. It's my god. <laughs> <laughs>
Dome Show. <laughs> the THN trade paperback of the week goes to Spacehawk by Basil Wolverton from Fantagraphics. This is a reprint of Wolverton's 1940s Space Avenger stories, which ultimately ended with him fighting Nazis. He fought Nazis. But he fought a bunch of really weird Wolverton mutant aliens before then. And if you know anything about Basil Wolverton, you know this is going to be a fun, weird, wild ride. (laughs) I'm super excited for this one. Be sure to tell us what comics the sweet tears of Superman have revealed for you to read next week over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe Patrick, while I go urinate with the bathroom door open, why don't you read us some more answers to the question of the week? <laughs> Radio Gold, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be right back. They're going to hear it. Our first Facebook response came from occasional guest host David DeMarco, who said, I'm sad about the lack of John Williams music, but I'm happy because a lot of stuff appears to be blowing up, which means Superman may actually do something in this film. Alex Myers, also part of the Legend Comics and Coffee family, said, I am happy about explosions too. Also, I am happy about Superbeard. Fun fact, Alex Myers has a glorious beard. I'm a little ambivalent about Jonathan Kent slash Field of Dreams crossover, but whatever. You're wrong, Alex. Kevin Costner is still awesome. We then digressed into a strange conversation about how Superman shaves, which I dropped some continuity on them and uh, filled them in. He shoots heat ray vision into the mirror and it bounces back. He shoots, he reflects his heat vision off of a piece of the spacecraft that he came to Earth in. Shoot it off a mirror? Well, no, because it's indestructible. You see, you can't shoot a Uh, mirror with heat vision. It'll melt. All right, all right, all right. Jason Kohlner says, I'm a bit hesitant. It kind of feels to me more like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie rather than a Zack Snyder movie. Whoa, dude. <laughs> yeah, for which I'm also hesitant since I haven't really liked Snyder's last few outings. Maybe the switch up is good, though. I'll still go see the movie, but this trailer didn't quote-unquote feel like a Superman trailer. Say what you will about the singer-Superman flick, but those trailers felt like Superman. The trailer did. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, John Latrell from Burnt Wieners unleashed a string of profanities... That are, are literally unpronounceable. <laughs> Brian J. Frozen writes in a story... Well, wait a minute. Is that good or bad? <laughs> I don't know. That's it. I just don't know. <laughs> Brian J. Frozen writes in a story where the character is nigh omnipotent, the only real story that can be told is the inner one. A successful modern Superman movie could only ever be about how Superman feels alienated by his own abilities, a predicament that is deserving of the darker, depressing overtones we see in the trailer. I'm on board to see where this goes. I agree to an extent. I I want Superman to be bright, or at least get to that point, and not necessarily dark and depressing, but I do agree that the challenge in a Superman story is the introspection, and I think they're going for that there. And there's no way it ends up dark and depressing, because if it does, he doesn't put on a red and blue suit and go save people. (laughs) So, I mean, like, I I, and I agree with what he's saying, and by the way, one of the best and well-written and most poignant responses we got. Absolutely. Good job, Brian. Excellent job. Chris, the British guy, says, This trailer has done its job for me. It has made me a little more excited to see the movie. Still not so sure about the darker look, because I think Superman has to be fantastical. I also apply seconds his the, the appreciation of the super beard. <laughs> Everyone loves Superman with the beard. Yeah, I kind of like it. Camarillo Brillo writes in and says, Meh, I can't get excited for soups. I almost feel like he's a hero that time has passed by. He's a Boy Scout. Snyder's uh, Snyder's attempts to make him conflicted or edgy hurts his character. I have to say, people that say Superman is not interesting or that he's a product of an earlier time and that he's no longer relevant do not understand Superman. I totally agree. Sorry, Camarillo. You're wrong. Sorry, buddy. That's the official THN stance. <laughs> you stance. are Camarillo Brillo wrong. is wrong. <laughs> Wade Lyles writes in simply our show. With, we can do whatever the hell we want. <laughs> I'm excited. Wade's excited. Andy Peters says the trailer won me over when it showed Michael Shannon as Zod. Love it. Yeah. I thought that was cool, too. We got uh, Nathan Bradford says he's real worried about the uh, Pa Kent maybe let the kids die thing. I'm done. We're done talking about that. I'm just saying it's a concern. <laughs> it's a concern for people. Randall Andrews. Welcome aboard, Randall. Says, I like the trailer, but he's just a little hesitant. I haven't seen enough footage to convince me it'll surpass anything I've seen before, which is fair. We've only seen clips. And finally, our friend Aura wrote in saying, I agree with Chris. After Returns, I would have been okay not watching another Superman movie, but the trailer did its job. 
Seeing Clark and Pa Kent interacting on the farm, I welled up a little. I watched it again before replying here and after the tragedy in Connecticut today as we record this. That was about 12 hours ago. That little bit about Superman saving a school bus full of children takes on a bit of a different tone. Right on. Well said. Right on. I'm going to let that go right there. Good responses, everybody. Thanks again for all that you contribute to the show, and we'll talk to you again next week. Hustler, word, I pull the show box long, grip my teeth, spray it till every nerd is gone. Got my pull ball sewn for when the ultimate war drops. Let's think I sweat to some crossover flop. Move like a king when I roll hops. You try to flex, snick, another nerd drops. Nice. I did it. Got it. <laughs> a sweet blow like that must mean the comic pushers are back, making new comic junkies out of impressionable young nerds. This week, a tweaking, lazy-eyed shorty named Cora writes, Dear comic pushers. Dearest comic pushers, I'm new to comic books, graphic novels, and would love your expert opinions in choosing what I should read next. I've had a couple failed attempts in choosing things myself. Please help. Death Note is one that I desperately regret spending money on. I do, however, have a few that I enjoyed. Habibi and the Fabled series were quick reads for me. I'm usually drawn to mysteries and action movies as well as science fiction. I have a crush on every boy. Man, this girl's got some crazy handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) She wrote this. This is handwritten, by the way, folks. I'm anticipating a long winter curled up with a few good reads. So please help! She said she's in a Gattaca Snatch and The Princess Bride are some of my favorite movies. Mona Lisa Overdrive. She was into William Gibson's Mona Lisa Overdrive is one of her favorite reads. This is an easy one. This is a real easy one. Totes. The first thing I'm going to throw at you is a currently running series that we talk about all the damn time because it's excellent. Brian K. Period Vaughn's Saga. Yes. It is Star Wars with a heart. It is Star Wars with a human voice drawn by the impeccable Fiona Staples. <laughs> I highly recommend you pick up Saga. You can get the first trade paperback, which right is six now. issues, for ten damn dollars. Nine ninety nine. Nine ninety nine. And totally number seven's it. on stand on the stands now. Number eight comes out next week. Yeah. It's a perfect time to jump on Saga. Perfect time to jump on. Joe Patrick, what are you gonna throw a core? I'm going to kinda cater to her William Gibson love and say, you need to check out Warren Ellis's Transmetropolitan. It was a 60-issue series that ran from the um, kind of mid-90s to the early 2000s. It's all in print, 10 volumes. It's a long-form series with a beginning, middle, and end. It is so good. Fantastic. It's about a Hunter S. Thompson-esque journalist. In the future. In the future. Uh, So he's writing all of this political stuff. In the context of a world that's just gone bananas with technology. It's Hunter S. Thompson in the world of Blade Runner, basically. Kind of. And it's such a good read. It's one of my favorite books. It is definitely my favorite thing Warren Ellis has ever written. I highly recommend it. Great art from start to finish by Derek Robertson. I would also suggest The Unwritten by Mike Carey. This is another currently running Vertigo series up to issue... Oh, they're in the 40s now, 42, 43. At least. You can catch up reading the trades. You can probably find a lot of the back issues, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I mean, it's... fairly cheap. They're not expensive books. This is the story of Tommy Taylor, who is maybe not a real human being. Uh, His father was a famous writer who wrote a series of books very much like Harry Potter. Using his son as the basis for the main character. As it turns out, his son may not exist. His son may actually be... Was sort of blinked into reality by his father's imagination, it, it's if a you crazy, will. It's a crazy uh, ride. I guess science fiction would be one way to describe it, maybe fantasy. I would go more fantasy. But it's very literary, very smart. Beautiful deal art. a lot with like the nature of fiction and how fiction is influenced by... like large groups of people and how large groups are and how fiction influences large groups of people and you know the effect it has on society and secret societies that are trying to mold public consciousness through words it's very good marvelous book yeah i highly recommend that one as well if you loved habibi there's no reason at all why you shouldn't pick up blankets yeah uh, Just as gut wrenching. <laughs> also by Craig Thompson. It's another long form phone book sized uh, graphic novel. It is beautiful. It's completely, completely different in subject matter and tone, but it's equally heartfelt 
and beautifully drawn. Craig Thompson is a wonderful storyteller. Ugh. If you loved Habibi, check out Blankets. It just they just came out with a nice new edition of it uh, just last year, I think, or earlier this year. That'll get you started, Cora. Thanks for the question, and please hit us up and let us know what you thought of our suggestions. And if you're fiending for a new series or trade paperback to read, shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Comic Pushes. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for the Dear Dennis Hopeless, Do You Want to Be Our Boyfriend episode of THN. If two nerds writing love letters to comic creators and then pouting when the letter comes back with a box marked, maybe, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes. But maybe wasn't an option when I mailed it. (laughs) He's smarter than we are. If you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating and a written review to help us get into the iTunes top 10. I'm also pushing for an iTunes comic books podcast category. It's ridiculous that one doesn't exist. I don't know who we have to write, but let's start sending emails to Steve Jobs. He's dead. I realize that, but somebody's going to read him. <laughs> Huge thanks to all of our donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in Dennis Hopeless autographs and headshots, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved toitanerd.com, where you can also contact us about sponsorship information. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, toitednerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic that you would like us to review. Don't forget to check out all the new content from the THN Love Slaves at twoheadednerd.com, including a new edition of Joe Patrick's Book Report. Yeah, look who's contributing. And the Slave Revolt continues with Silva, Dubs, and K-O-A-A-N Myers. That's uh, that's <laughs> an acronym of. for King of Ask a Nerd. Eric Cohen. Myers. <laughs> Cohen. Host their comic roundtable and be the first to read Casey's all-hater review of The Hobbit in her Girl Meets Nerd blog. The woman is truly dead inside. <laughs> and remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. If you want to hear our answers to the question of the week, be sure to check out the beginning of the show. Yeah, rewind. <laughs> this week, we'll post our answer to last week's question. That's right. The drunk show. Check out our 2 web-exclusive NSF Dubs audio blog, The Answer of the Week, where this week, we will be playing The Drunk Show, Answer of the Week. I just said that. Oh. Thanks for that recap, though. Next week, we're talking about sword fighting mice when we review with the first two volumes of David Peterson's Mouse Guard as part of our monthly Take a Look. It's in a book segment. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the publisher of Image Comics, Eric Stevenson, who made a hasty and unpopular decision to discontinue reprints on their best-selling titles this week, then quickly changed his stance after hearing retailer feedback. It is so nice to know that some publishers out there actually listen. I think you know who we're talking about. Word to you, Mr. Stevenson, and until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, sober and signing off.